Well, this morning, if you would, please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 23 through 28. As you're opening there, um, for those of you who have been with us for a while, we've been in Hebrews for the past couple of months, and we are in all things Melchizedekian right now. Um, thankfully, we will be talking about the Aaronic priesthood and Jesus, and Jesus is our high priest. So it won't be too Melchizedekian, though it is good stuff. Um, what we will be looking at, though, let's read together. Would you stand in honor of God and His Word as we read Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22 through 28? This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, he has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, our Father, as we open your word this morning, open us to your word. Unveil our eyes that we would behold glorious things in your law, that we would see Jesus, that we would know him, and we would love him. Your will be done. We trust in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. So have you guys seen those um, teeth whitening commercials? You know what I'm talking about. The ones where one lady sits down at the bistro table and she's across from another lady and she asks, have you done the tissue test? And the other lady's wondering, no, I would tissue test. And she whips out this like seven times laundered, bleached white, nobody owns this white of an item in the entire world. She pulls it out and says, oh, yeah, no, you just, you grab it and you put it in front of your teeth and you see, you know, if your teeth are as white as you thought they were. Of course, the other lady goes home and the mirror looks at it and to no surprise, she's like, oh, I'm just, I'm hideous. Oh, no, I need Colgate, you know, whatever it is. Okay, so interesting, right? Well, in a way, that's kind of what the writer of Hebrews is doing this morning. He's holding up the perfect, eternal, absolutely stainless Son of God. Okay, good. Stainless Son of God. Up and over against the stained, mortal, Aaronic priesthood. All to exclaim to you and to me, Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. And in fact, He's such a great high priest. 
You must draw near to God through him. And so, if you will, let's, let's take a look at verse 23 together and see what, what is happening here. Verse 23, we see um, the role of high priest start to be talked about priests. Before we jump into that, actually, jump back to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1, just to remind ourselves what is the role of a high priest, what was the high priest involved in day in and day out. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1 says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So we see that the high priest, his main role, his main job was to act as a mediator between man and God and specifically to offer atoning sacrifices for sins. Um, We see that most zoomed in on that day, the day of atonement, the week of Passover, when the high priest crosses into the Holy of Holies and makes atonement for God's people. He offers the sacrifice, prays on behalf of the people. One animal is killed, one is let go, and the people are atoned for. It happens once a year, and so you can imagine the high priest is kind of a, a big deal. To be the high priest is a big deal. What's interesting, this big deal stuff, the writer of Hebrews then makes a very high claim. And he's quite adamant about it, and it's simply this. Jesus is the better and greater high priest after the order of Melchizedek. If you look at chapter 7, verse 21, he's not only a priest, but with an oath, he is a priest forever. It says, verse 21, chapter 7, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. And so we start to see that the writer of Hebrews launches into a comparison dealing specifically with the eternality of Jesus and the mortalness of men. Look at verse 23. It says here, The former priests were many in number. And we ask the question, why? He tells us, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And so we see the comparison starting to take shape. Mortal, immortal. Look at um, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, to kind of help us understand perhaps what's going on here. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, our apostle Paul zooms in on this, and he says something. He says, Sin came into the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin. And so, death spread to all men because all sinned. Now think this through with me for just a second. Who were the priests? Men just like you and me, human, okay? Our Apostle Paul makes clear that sin has touched all of humanity. Sin entered the world through Adam. 
With sin came death, therefore all have sin, all die. And so we see the effects of sin enacted working in the Aaronic priesthood. There were a lot of them. Why? Because, I mean, when he got old enough or when something happened, so we have to have another one. And so death reigned in this priesthood still. But does that apply to Jesus? See the comparison. Make no mistake, we are saying Jesus is fully man. But he's the word of the Father who came down and took on human nature. And to emphasize this manliness of Christ, look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. The writer of Hebrews says, Since therefore the children, you and me, share in flesh and blood, bodies, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. And in verse 17, he goes even further and says, He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So without a doubt, Jesus is a man. Okay? Man. However, chapter 4, verse 15, 4, verse 15 of Hebrews adds a little something here. He says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, because he's just like us, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, three words, yet without sin. The former priests were men just like you and me, sinners. Jesus, the high priest, is a man yet without sin. Hear the good news. Because Jesus is sinless, death has no hold on him. He continues forever, and therefore he will continue as a high priest on our behalf forever, whoever puts their faith and their trust in him by virtue of his indestructible life. I just want you to think on this for a moment. And um, I said in the first service, and I'm very serious, this is perhaps one of the most favorite things that I think about when it comes to Jesus. Jesus never had a bad thought. And what I mean by that is just simply this, Jesus never had a whoopsies, (laughs) whatever you want to call it. Jesus never had an inclination towards sin. Jesus abhorred sin. In fact, the only sin that Jesus ever experienced was the sins of his people that were laid on him on the cross of Calvary. You know it well, 2 Corinthians 5.21, remember what the Apostle Paul says, he says, Jesus, he became sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so the one who is absolutely perfect is not subject to death. And he is also the one who can stand eternally then and intercede for you and for me. Because of his perfection, 
Would you glory in him for just a moment? Because of intrinsic goodness, rightness, perfection, Jesus can stand in the presence of God eternally. Death does not reign. And then if you look at this in verse 25, the writer of Hebrews makes this amazing claim. Consequently, because of this, because he is not subject to death, because he is who he is, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. In the original language, it's really cool. The word uttermost, yes, indeed, has that full-faceted feature to it. It has completely holy, but it also has this time element to it, which when you put it all together, it just means he saves you completely forever because he's forever. And he's not going to kick you off one day. But he is able to save forever. And just, church, hear this, brothers and sisters. If Jesus is interceding for you, you are safe forever. Yay! (laughs) Your eternal high priest ever lives to make intercession for you. It's why we rejoice in Christ. It's why we wake up in the morning and we say, despite me, I'm free and he's mine. Look at verse 26. The writer of Hebrews picks up on it. He says, it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, a high priest like this, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. It was indeed fitting for us to have a mediator like Jesus, high priest, a mediator. And to really grab a hold of this, it's going to be important for us to turn our minds to Toy Story for just a moment. Um, as you could imagine, being the father of three smaller children, I've watched a lot of Toy Stories um, over and over again. In one Toy Story, Toy Story 4, the best one, Toy Story 4 has this scene of mediation in it. It's like that fast, but when I saw it, it was like, that's it. So Bo Peep, do you remember her? She's the lady, the shepherdess lady who has the three little sheep that have three heads. They just Anyway, so she's that gal. Her and Woody have been separated for years. Well, they get reunited, and now they're on a mission to save Bo Peep's um, sheep from this like little maniacal doll, okay? And they're on the way to do it, but they need help. And so <laughs> Bo Peep walks up to the backside of this like toy speakeasy, you know? And you kind of hear some things going on behind the whatever, And she walks up and like karate chops and pushes in this like super secret code. Puts it right in. The door swings open. And the doorkeeper is this little guy with symbols. Looks at her and she's like, hey, what's up? And he's, hey. Then he peeks over her shoulder. He goes, like, hang on. Because Woody's there. And without skipping a beat, Bo Peep says, yeah, yeah, he's with me. And they both go right in. Kind of silly. But honestly, that, that's, that's kind of a good picture of mediation. You see, you and I, being sinners, we don't actually, by our own nature, by our own whateverness, 
belong in the presence of God. And you see that really clearly in Isaiah 6, verse 5. Many of us are familiar with this scene. But if you're new to the Bible, it's the scene where a prophet of God, I mean, you think, pretty good deal. He sees a vision of the Almighty, stands before the holiness of God, and rather than say, hey, good stuff, he kind of falls apart. And on the inside, it seems like Isaiah just starts to crumble and we start to see that Isaiah's righteousness, Isaiah's who he is, the moment it stands in the presence of the holiness of God, he crumbles and is unable to stand. He needs a mediator. He needs help. And so we see the scene unfold that atonement is provided for him. It's the same thing for us. But church, know this. Jesus is the perfect fit for you and for me. What we aren't, Jesus is perfectly. Holy, innocent, unstained. Look at verse 26. He adds these two other things here. Separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Now, certainly we're talking about Jesus being separate from us in the sense of character-wise, absolutely. Is he pure? 100%. There's no stain. But it also carries with it this term, separated, a distance. And in the Aaronic priesthood, once Aaron was anointed with oil in Leviticus, he was separated into the sanctuary of God. There was distance put between the profane and the holy. That was a visual reminder. It was a visual scene. We have one of those two. It's called the ascension, where Jesus, after defeating death, stands and does what? And everyone goes, and the angels have to come down and go, why are you still here? Go to Jerusalem. Do what he said. He'll come back the same way. Right. Where is Jesus? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 tells us. It says that Jesus, having made purifications, purification for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, sat down. Now that's something a high priest has never done. Follow me on this. Have you ever read Leviticus chapter 1 through 5? Yeah, wow. What it is is we're given this sacrificial rules for the Levites, starts talking about what sacrifices need to be made, when they need to be made, how they need to be made, and this, the vast number of them and the different degrees that they must be made. And so what you kind of get the idea from just reading 1 through 5, the chapters, is, man, they were just sacrificing all the time. Yeah, all the time. For all kinds of stuff. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. It's just a lot going on. Well, who was in charge of that? The priestly order. They were doing that. One week in particular, you could see it on full scale. And it's that week of Passover. Now, historians, you get these crazy numbers through hyperbole sometimes. 
like so much so that on one side of the, the, this, the aisle, they would say, during the week of Passover, there was 1.2 million animals offered. And you're like, one point. What? And everyone's like, well, I mean, maybe that's a little much. And they're like, let's tailor it back. For sure, we could probably say, though, at least 100,000 animals were sacrificed during the week of Passover. I'm from Texas. There are huge ranches out there, like huge. I've never seen that. I've never seen, and what I mean by that is, I can't look out over the fence and be like, whoa, there's the 100,000 bulls. But the idea is that there's just this huge amount of everyone's coming to Jerusalem for the Day of Atonement. They're making sacrifices, and these priests are just like, attaboy in it. Like, just keep going. Just keep going. Right? Sit down. Don't sit. Stand up. There's like 300 more to go. Follow me on this? We're told in our passage, verse 27, Jesus has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices for sins. To offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And this is just on the face value. This is what makes Jesus just so much better as a high priest. We've talked about Jesus being perfect, intrinsically beautiful, right. Well, then Jesus offered the once-for-all sacrifice, so not only just by he did it, is he better, but also it's this, he didn't look to an outside source to make atonement for his people. I got to go find bulls and goats. We learn later in Hebrews that can't take away sins. It's a reminder of sins. But Jesus being who he is, perfect, is also the perfect sacrifice for anyone who calls upon him. Anybody who puts their faith and trust in Jesus, he's the perfect fit for you and for me. So know this, Jesus is the great high priest because not only does he offer intercession and mediation for us, he does that with himself. He didn't have to, I've got to find something to cover up all these terrible people. It's, I'm the sacrifice that's needed, and I'm willing to give it. That's another level. He's great. Peter writes about this. 1 Peter chapter 1, 17 through 20 talking about this preciousness of Jesus. He says, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile or your time on earth, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, or bulls and goats, perishable. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, we have learned Jesus is eternal, unperishable, and his blood is precious. 
No bull or goat can stand in our stead. It just won't do. There's only one who can stand as a perfect substitute for you and for me. The Heidelberg Catechism actually talks about this in question 14. Our need for a man, our need for one of us to stand in the place. Question 14, it says, Can another creature, any at all, pay this debt? Speaking of the debt we've accrued through our sinfulness. (laughs) The answer is pretty good. In... Oh, period. No. To begin with, it says, God will not punish any other creature for what a human is guilty of. It doesn't make sense. It's not a one-to-oneer. Bulls and goats aren't one-to-oneers with Jesus. But also what? Furthermore, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. They go to the... No one else can bear it because it's so gravitas. There's so much eternal weight of the judgment. Well, we know someone who's eternal. This is amazing. A man must pay for man's sins. And only one man could do it. See the love of God in this God sent His only begotten to take on our humanity. God and man. No other sacrifice would do an eye for an eye, limb for limb. And Jesus gave Himself for us. We've already hit it, but He's the only one that could. He's the only one who could bear the eternal wrath of God, as the Catechism says, Because he's indestructible. We've talked about it. He's sinless, therefore death has no hold. He's indestructible. He goes forever. If we're just thinking of longevity, truly Jesus is the perfect mediator between God and man, between man and God. He's the perfect fit for us. He's the perfect high priest. Looking towards the end here, verse 28. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, we saw in verse 21, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has made, been made perfect forever. Perhaps said in just a little bit different way, shed some light on this, Romans 8, 3-4. The Apostle Paul writes, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. The law appointed men in their weakness. The word of the oath appoints a son. And this perfect son, hear this church, is seated in the heavenly sanctuary. He's exalted and lifted up and he's interceding for his people. I want you to catch this. This isn't just some kind of intercessory role of like, oh good, 
At least somebody's praying for me. Do you remember the scene when Jesus looks at Peter? It's right before Peter's about to be delivered over. Before Jesus is about to be delivered over. He looks at Peter and says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. (laughs) What? Surely Job must have been flashing through his mind. A good Jewish man knowing the scriptures. This is not good. No, it's not good. You remember the scene in Job, it's the dragon comes up. Give me Job. He'll curse you when I'm done. He'll turn. He'll break. Just say the word. Give me permission and I'll wreck his life. Jesus, the Son of God, looks at Peter and says, Satan has asked that he should sift you like wheat. What's the only assuring word Jesus gives? It's final. But I've prayed for you. And when you turn, strengthen your brothers. He didn't say, now this is the way you're going to manage this. If you'll just, actually here, separate, let's go talk about it. He said, I prayed for you. And in other words, he gives them the thumbs up and says, when it's all over and you turn, strengthen your brothers. The assurity of Jesus' prayer, his words, is the bedrock for Peter's faith. He's interceding for you eternally. And so really, the question just boils down to, to these kinds of things. Maybe said simply like this. Do you trust him? It's not rocket science, right? The scriptures are pretty clear. He intercedes for his people. Anyone who draws near to God through him, he's able to save to the uttermost. The question we need to ask is simply, generally, do I trust him to do that? And maybe more specifically, knowing that, what do we do with the real life stuff? Uh, here's an example. You're going um, in, walking down an aisle in Lowe's. And as you're walking down an aisle in Lowe's, something happens, you say a harsh word. Oh, shouldn't have done that. And then you get home and you're, you know, cutting out a garden bed and one of your sons grabs something and stabs you with it. Or fill in the blank. And you, what's wrong with... Whatever comes out, comes out. Yeah? So let me ask you a question. Do, how do you handle that? Because the Spirit of God, Christian, within you, you know, revolts. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Well, what made you think that? Shouldn't have done that. What's the response here? Okay. Next time I'm stabbed with a pitchfork, I won't do what I just did. I won't. I won't. I won't. And all, all we're actually doing there is we're, we're trying to solve an eternal, something I can't get my hands on issue with very not eternal things, right? It's just, uh, it's just us trying to work it out. We're going to take care of our sin. 
and then it happens again, and then, <laughs> whoops, you do the same thing, you freak out again, and you start to see this pattern emerge, and so now we're, do you understand? There's a real-life stuff. What we're being offered here is, Christian, sinner, look up. Look to him. As that beautiful hymn writes, right? Upward I look and see him there. Whoever lives to plead for me. As we look in faith to Christ, his finished work, rest assured, the work is done. He lives eternally, which means he came out of the grave. It's not just a crucified Lord. It's not just a sacrifice. It's the perfect sacrifice. The one God put his stamp and his seal on. And the way that happened was the stone rolled and there's no body. Where'd he go? Eternally affirmed as the son of God in power through the resurrection. He's trustworthy. He lives. Will we in each moment in our failing don't offer Instead, look, praise God, by faith, my sins were laid on him, that I might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, my great high priest, mediates for me. I'm safe forever. I trust you. And perhaps you've come to to church today and you're visiting, whatever it might be, and this is all kind of new to you and you're kind of struggling through the whole idea of all the animals dying and lots of stuff. This is really strange. Just to, just to make it clear and simple, it's just this. Jesus, the eternal Word of God, the Son of God, took on our flesh, perfectly fulfilled the righteous requirement God has for you and for me, offered Himself as a substitutionary sacrifice on your behalf and my behalf, raised three days later from the grave, eternally exalted, and is with God, perfect. And anyone who trusts him and stops trusting themselves, turn Jesus. Know this for sure. He will save. So I just want to point you down that route, and if this is all new and uh, what to do with that, Talk to Pastor S, and after this, talk to one of us here. We want to talk to you more about that. Finally, leave you with this. Consider Jesus. Think on these things. Worship him. Adore him. He's perfect. We must draw near to God through him. He's the way. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, truly you've given us the perfect mediator. Jesus, our Lord. We pray this morning, awaken us to this reality. Save some. Strengthen all we might adore you. That you would receive the worship 
you're worthy of. Be exalted among us for your glory now and forevermore. In the name of our great mediator, Jesus, we pray. Amen.